The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. On this episode of This League, we have a special interview with three-time champion and current Lakers skills coach, Phil Handy. Phil Handy has worked with a lot of, we'll call it high caliber players, superstars, if you will. (laughs) He has worked with Kobe, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, just to name a few. Wow. Tremendous interview with so many damn insightful little nuggets. Uh, He also has an app called 94 Feet a Game, which I actually use, has transformed my ugly ass shot into a wet NBA lookalike jumper. Woo! And my handles are getting tighter. Watch out, folks. We also talk about how our coworker Alex Rodriguez is now co-owner of the Walmart of the NBA, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and why both Joel Embiid and Greg Popovich should think before they speak to the media. Without further ado, let's get into it. Some dead presidents were thrown around this weekend. <laughs> that they were. Yes. Oh, my God. New owner is coming for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Thank the Lord, Jesus, because it's been bad for a while now, and hope is coming. Hope is coming. Is there a more Walmart team in the league than the Minnesota Timber- Timberwolves? Like that you could get on a bargain? Just... Like in terms of their brand, just like a low budget brand team. It's them or Sacramento. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I would say very, very close. Yeah. I would say Sacramento's more Kmart. That works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That little golden one center or whatever they play in. Yeah. Just looks like, bad. Walmart isn't Walmart's not bad. Like yeah. you go to Walmart and like you don't tell anyone that you went to Walmart, but like there's great deals there. You can get a sixty inch TV for like $79, you know? Yeah. Tar- and the- Target's going to be really upset with how much money they spend advertising with them. Correct. <laughs> that Correct. We're, that we're doing this. Like, amazing that the Target Center <laughs> is now going to be owned by a, a guy who is the CEO of a division of Walmart. The news broke Saturday that Walmart e-commerce guru Mark Lore and his partner by the name of Alex Rodriguez, not sure if you've heard of him, <laughs> Purchase the Wolves for $1.5 billion. That seems low. Does that seem low to you? Uh, a little bit, but I feel like just like 10 years ago when we were hearing like the like billion word thrown out, uh, that was like surprising. So I was mean, that, weren't the Clippers 2.3 billion? When Balmer got them? Yeah, yes. that sounds right. That so, was a while ago. Yeah. I mean, Minnesota's not LA. Yeah. Yes, that's true. So. I never thought, Marty, in my wildest dreams, I'm not sure if you have, that one of my coworkers would own an NBA team. That's right. N- never thought that. That's right. Yeah. If you don't know, folks that are listening, uh, Alex Rodriguez has a podcast with Dan Katz, a.k.a. Big Cat, called The Corp Tremendous, where they break down, sit down with business and sports leaders, talk about how they got to the place that they're at. They ask them hard-hitting questions. They've had a lot. They had, uh, Martha Stewart. Oh, yeah. Martha Stewart. Tremendous interview. Really, really good. In the height of the pandemic, I listened to a lot of the Corp episodes, a lot of the old ones. So uh, download that and subscribe if you're looking for some business acumen. So as happy as I am for fellow coworker Alex Rodriguez, I am just absolutely sick for Garnett. Like, like what the fuck, Glenn Taylor? Kevin, Kevin Garnett was trying to buy the Minnesota Timberwolves and just got completely iced out for some guy that has zero connection to the team. Let's find his tweet. March 5th, 2021, 
So just got the news that this process in trying to acquire the T-Wolves is over for me and my group. Thanks, Glenn, for being yourself and what I know you to be. Good luck and all the best with what we built. 100. Guess it's time to focus on other places. Hashtag Seattle. Hashtag Vegas. A little like, hmm, hmm emoji. Crazy Hmm. that some of these special players that help build these fucking franchises like home, like a home, can never own them, only rent them. Get the fuck out of here. This shit is a joke. Fuck them, though. Your loss. Keeping mine moving. And we still out here looking for a new team. Still going. It's still all possible. Chuck up the deuces on that ass. Moving on. In other news. I'm not hurt. Just disappointed. Deuces emoji. Hmm emoji. What what this shrug emoji? Shrug, yeah. That's Garnett's Twitter there for you. So he's probably on a scale of one to furious, furious, <laughs> right? Like you see this and you're like, what the fuck? An athlete can buy a franchise, just not the one that poured their heart and soul into your team and stayed for much longer than I had to. Came back. Are you kidding me? They gave him some lie about why he didn't end up getting the team. It was just, he didn't see the bid. That's what Glenn Taylor said. I didn't see your bid. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure that's something that goes unnoticed. Billion dollar (laughs) offers. Yeah. Yeah. Like, again. Just got lost. In the scale of I don't believe you, that one's very (laughs) high. That is very high. Also, Lauren A-Rod get the Minnesota Lynx, the WNBA team. Which, that's actually the part that I think is cool. Because mm-hmm. I think uh, they could do a lot of things with that. Alex Rodriguez will probably dump a lot of money into that team. Hopefully we don't get any Walmart-style jerseys. We don't want that. <laughs> yeah, no, hopefully not. No Walmart. Are they any good? I know they had, they had Maya Moore for a minute. They're okay. Yeah. They're not the funnest WNBA franchise to watch yeah. compared to like, I like the, I like the Aces a lot. Yes. Yeah. Um, my Mercury, Mercury, we got a big three. Mercury, Seattle's very good. <laughs> Seattle is nasty. Brianna Stewart is nasty. Oh, psh. the sky's okay. I'm not a, I'm not a big Minnesota fan. Period. But of course, with Glenn Taylor, because he's a piece of shit, there's always a catch. Always. Um, he's not giving up control of the team for two and a half years. So you can buy it now, in order to control it in. Uh, Half of a, an election cycle from now. Okay. That's weird. Why? Because he's just not done fucking Minnesota up the ass yet. That's why. Just just going to screw drafts. Just going to keep his fingerprints in the place. Like, I don't know what the reasoning is other than the fact that he still wants to meddle. Yeah. Wait, so the sale's final. The sale is final, I but believe. But he's yeah. just still acting as president and an owner for the next two and a half years. That's so bizarre. He's going to remain in control for the next two and a half years. God, three drafts left the fuck up. They probably are going to get a top three pick this year. Cause that pick was protected. The one that they gave to the warriors. So they'll mm-hmm. probably keep their pick. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. We might see another first round failure from Glenn Taylor before he rides out <laughs> into the sunset. Just so one more. <laughs> just one more, maybe two. Come on, baby. Probably just one, though, because here's the thing. The Minnesota Timberwolves are going to be very good. I like a lot of their players. They are going to be very good. I watched them last night before they won, and I was like, Okoji? Killing. Good, yeah. Really good. Ant Edwards? I really like this kid. Carl Anthony Towns? Of course. Carl Anthony Towns is playing like he wants to be a, a hybrid of Jokic and Embiid, and that is scary. Yeah. That is really scary. I mean, he's just such a good shooter. It's nuts. Like, it's nuts. He's creating space. Chris Finch has that team humming. The world, of course, was disappointed in the way that they hired Chris Finch, but Chris Finch was the man for the job. Like, he's coached at an elite level and won multiple championships in Europe. That's just it. He's Nick Nurse and in that kind of a style. So... He's turning Carl Anthony Towns into the kind of player that Carl Anthony Towns should be. We're finally getting to see him. So, where is Beasley? When he comes back, they're going to be nasty. <laughs> D'Lo, I don't know what's going to happen with D'Lo if they get like a Jalen Suggs. You could move him for more pieces. You could have him off the bench, but... 
I think D'Lo is probably gone soon. I think so, too. Yeah. The issue is that D'Lo and Carl Anthony Towns are best friends. Yeah, no, that's the, it's still funny when that trade happened and everyone was like, oh, Booker's going to go to Minnesota now. Like, I just remember that. Like, yeah. no. No, he's not. Yeah. No. I like, how, <laughs> I like how you as a Phoenix Suns fan, are you just like, no, he's not. Like, <laughs> not, I'm not even going to laugh about how stupid that is. It's like, no. He's got a fucking awesome house in Scottsdale. He's going to move to Minnesota. Okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. All right. The thing is, this team has had a lot of late leads late in games and gave those leads away. Mm-hmm. All they need to do is learn how to win. That's it. They know how to score. They know how to build leads. It's a lot easier to learn how to keep a lead than learn how to get one. That's true. That's true. Very true. You have yep. a 15-point lead. All you do is trade buckets now. That's it. Just drain the clock out. Squeeze it. Kind of make sure that you stay composed. Don't let them go on a run. Like the fact that they're in these games against real teams just shows you that Chris Finch has turned things around really fast. And all this team needs is an offseason together to get gelled, bring this new rookie in. And I tell you what, mark my words, playoff team next year. Ooh. Playoff team. Even as the third least valuable team in the NBA, they are now officially a Walmart franchise. So, playoffs. Playoffs. Spring is officially here. Warm weather is on its way. I personally, Marty, with warm weather, have been looking at these Barstool Miami merch. Yeah. Looks pretty fire. If I wear enough, maybe somebody will send me to Miami. I don't know. (laughs) Whether you're hitting the golf course or enjoying some drinks in the sun, transfusions, please go get some transfusions from the Barstool store as well. The Barstool store's newest spring arrivals will have you looking good all season long. What is your favorite thing to buy in the Barstool store right now? Ooh, I don't know. Hoodie season is, it's time for us to transition away from yeah, hoodie I just, season. Yeah, I wear them year-round, though. Do you really? Not always out, but I didn't, I'm a hoodie guy. Are you are you one of those guys who like gambling sweatshirts, like the positive vibes only sweatshirts or the like, oh, yeah. it's just oh, yeah. money? Yeah, big fan of those. The it's just money is pretty good. I like that one. <laughs> Head to store.barstoolsports.com to shop now. Lots of fires things in there. I like the polos. There's some G4 merch. Head to store.barstoolsports.com to shop now. We're going to start a new segment called Things you shouldn't have said to the media. First, first, this happens shockingly more than you would think. Uh Uh-huh. Where you just say things that are completely out of pocket. One. Two, make you look terrible. Three, able to be exploited by your competitors. First (laughs) up in this is Joel Embiid in Philadelphia. So the Sixers had a bounce back game on Saturday night beating a very bad Oklahoma City team by 20 points. Great news. Great news. Joel and Bucket threw just cold water on that news when he said, I have shooting woes that are related to my bum knee. He said, it feels like every shot I take, there's a hitch in it. It's just not as smooth as it was in the past. Wonder why that would be. <laughs> Fortunately, we don't have to speculate why Joel Embiid is not shooting well, because he said exactly why he can't shoot anymore. His fucking knee brace. <laughs> Embiid admitted to the shock of the world that the brace affects all areas of my game. All areas? All areas of my game. This is an MVP candidate, folks, who is hobbled by a knee brace that he will never be able to take off for the rest of the season. (laughs) My legs are getting tired fast because of this knee brace. I can't shoot. I have a hitch in my shot because of this knee brace. Holy fuck, maybe you shouldn't have said that. It's worse, (laughs) he said, because it's affecting his shots. My shots haven't been going in. A lot of it has to do with the brace. Just getting back to myself. Feels like every shot that I take, I just have a hitch. It's not full motion, and it's not as smooth as it was in the past. <laughs> I love Joel Embiid, but God damn it, please keep this information to yourself. Hey, opponents, here's my weakness. <laughs> hey, let me just tell you everything you need to know about how to beat me. Yeah. You literally can hear opponents being like, run them to the perimeter, run them ragged, just keep them, keep them out of the game, run them, run them, run them, run them, run them. <laughs> and then, you know, Fourth quarter, he goes away. 
Nothing about these comments helps Sixers fans sleep better at night. Nothing. I mean, they're going to get bounced out of the playoffs early, right? Like, I think we know that. I think <laughs> I'm, we know I'm not that. Going, I'm not going quite that far, but Why it, not? I could easily see it. I mean. There's just so little talent in that conference. There's just so little talent on that team. Okay. <laughs> it's Joel. Okay. It's Joel Embiid. I mean, it, it really hinges on Joel Embiid. This team sure, is but... <laughs> this team is not good without Joel Embiid. Sure, but I could say that about several top teams. I think without CJ McCollum, Portland. Not to say Portland is a good team or as good as the Sixers. I'm not saying that, folks. That's right. not what I'm saying. But when you lost CJ McCollum, this team didn't lose against bad teams the way that the Sixers have. Like the Sixers just are not the same. If you lose Dame and you have CJ. You still win a lot of games. You lose JoJo, it's just, that's it. That's that's all you have, really. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with positions. It's easier to replace uh, guards than uh, your big guy, especially when your offense is kind of like built around that. Correct. Uh, but I mean, I I definitely agree. If they don't have Embiid like reliably for the playoffs, then yeah, they're in trouble. No he doubt. has a knee yeah. brace that's affecting all areas of his game and making it difficult for him to shoot and making him more tired. And he has to wear the knee brace for the rest of the playoffs. You tell me why that doesn't mean you should think first round or not first round early exit is in play. Oh, I think it's in play. Yeah. I just, I'm not quite saying like, Oh, it's happening. Tobias <laughs> Harris is going to need to be a fucking all-star in order for them with a hobbled Joel Embiid. Maybe he'll take the brace off. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> We've seen Tobias play well in the playoffs. Though. Absolutely, we have. I love Tobias Harris. But really, this team does lack a lot of depth and a lot of sure. skills. They can do things. Scoring. We're going to say this. Scoring skills. They lack sure. a lot of scoring skills. I, got, I like wonder if Joel Embiid was knowing that this conversation was being recorded. It seems like a weird thing to just... Tell the world. <laughs> like, I don't recall anything really like this. Like, hey, this piece of equipment really bothers me. Like, and this equipment is not coming off. Yeah. Like, I just got to get used to it. Well, another example of a man probably needing to keep his thoughts and like a little TMI. I think the segment should be called TMI. Too much information for the media to run with. Greg Popovich was asked about his mindset about the play-ins before the game against Dallas. They said, hey, what do you think about the NBA play-in tournament? Have you been scheming about this, thinking about this? And he goes, in Greg Popovich fashion, I give it no thought whatsoever because at my age, I have to pick and choose what I want to spend my thinking moments on. (laughs) Okay. And then the Spurs then went out to beat the Mavs in an incredible last second shot by DeMar DeRozan. And everybody's like, Great win. Oh, my God. And somehow something came up where they're like, you mentioned you uh, you spend your thinking thoughts selectively <laughs> and uh, deliberately. What what are you thinking about if not the play in games? And he says, I am thinking about the Olympics. Ooh, I spend my thinking moments about the Olympics. <laughs> Every day I'm thinking about something happening. Checks calendar three and a half months from now. That's tough. That's a tough one. I don't uh I don't know what the reason would be to give that out. I mean, I understand looking towards that because obviously you have a I mean, you have a much better chance to be really good at the Olympics than you do right now, but that is a crazy thing to just offer out again. Yeah. He says I probably think about it every day. In some way, shape, or form. Again, not thinking about the play-in game at all in any shape or form on any day. But thinking about the Olympics every day in some way, shape, or form. It takes up a lot of time thinking. It takes up a lot of time thinking about schemes, personnel, watching film of opponents from other countries. So he's already watching film on <laughs> Olympic teams. Yes. Okay. And I mean, dealing, I guess that's what I guess that's his job, but and dealing with administrative matters. What administrative matters? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like there's never any news coming out of the U.S. <laughs> Olympic team ever. <laughs> what he's like, Demar, Demar, you got this. Like end of game scenario, you guys are set for the Mavs. 
I've got some Latvia film to check up on. Yeah. yeah. Like there's this kid from Israel. I've got to see what Dragon Bender's doing. Yeah. yeah. Like, man. Is he Latvian? I think. Italy. Italy's no. running this new creative defensive set. I'm going to break down how to scheme against that. Yeah. Mario Hazonia is like really, <laughs> really He's figured out this along. offense. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. He's literally just being like, Becky Hammond, this is yours. I'm just here in name. Like, I wonder to myself if Greg Popovich can coach the U.S. national team if he's not an NBA head coach, because I feel he's ready to be done. Like, it feels like he is so checked out of the NBA that the only reason he didn't retire is because they moved the Tokyo Olympics to this year. And he (laughs) somehow has an obligation to be an NBA head coach in order to be the coach of the U.S. team. It has to be that. Maybe. Or, yeah, he just he, he didn't want to, like, get out of the habit of coaching for the Olympics, maybe something like that. The, it seems they may have been related. I don't think that's too far fetched to think that they may be related. Some, yeah. some in some way, shape or form, I think that they're related. Yeah. Either from an obligatory standpoint or in like a, in the rhythm and the flow of mm-hmm. coaching and being around NBA players. Like if he's just sitting around doing nothing, I don't think you're getting as much. This, the knives are not as sharp, but no, right. he's definitely one of those guys who's already put in his two weeks and then in those two week time period, like do, does nothing. Oh, yeah. I mean, have you seen his hair lately? Yeah. Like yeah. he's not even shaving right now. <laughs> he, he looks great, though. I love this pop. Yeah, I do, too. He's literally just been like zero fucks given. I have been following Phil Handy, skills coach for the Lakers for I want to say maybe four or five years at least. Mm hmm. At least since he won the championship with Cleveland. Phil Handy came on because he's actually promoting a new app, which I personally use. It's called 94 Feet a Game. So it's got drills, shooting, ball handling, footwork, balance, scoring, passing, defense. I use them all. Every day that you log onto the app, it gives you a new drill to work on. He works with Jewel Lloyd. Steve Nash, Harrison Barnes, and a bunch of other stars, as well as some young players, which was cool. A lot of young uh, female players. So my handles and my jump shot have been transformed because of this app. And actually, me and Phil Handy developed a little friendship over DMs just because I was using that before the interview even got scheduled. So definitely check that out. 94 feet of game. It's only $9.99 a month in the Apple Store. Ever since he came into the league 10 years ago, he's done nothing but win. Nothing. He's changed players' careers like Kyle Kuzma. We did a piece on Kyle Kuzma before we even knew that we had Phil Handy, which was great. He's changed the footwork for players who are already elite and have become transcendent like Kyrie Irving. He's turned, I know that he says this is a lot about another coach, but I know he's responsible in some way, shape, or form for making LeBron James like a legit three-point deep threat shooter. Logo mm-hmm. logo, LeBron. <laughs> Like, we're now seeing that. His shot went from broke to wet. But a lot of times when you meet people who are legends, they disappoint you. Like, very often. You always kind of wonder, like, what are these people going to be like when I actually meet them? Phil Handy was better in person than definitely I had expected. Yeah, he was awesome. It was a love fest. He was so engaged. He gave us way more time than the Lakers wanted to give. They were literally messaging us during the Zoom (laughs) interview, being like, yo, the time is up. (laughs) <laughs> and he's just like chatting. So I am not a Laker fan, as you know, because I'm a Portland Trailblazer fan. But Phil Handy made it so I will, if the Blazers and when the Blazers get bounced early, I will be rooting for the Lakers in the Western Conference. That's it. That's like that's <laughs> that's how genuine he is. That was how knowledgeable he was. So likable. Uh, I promise you, when you listen to him, you will not be able to help but to like him and root for his success. So let's get into the interview. I promise you, you are going to learn a lot. There are a ton of nuggets. I am so excited to meet you. <laughs> I appreciate that. This is pleasure's all mine. For years now, I've been talking to friends about you as you've made your way from team to team to team. Uh, and... Anyone who's like in the know knows that there's Phil Handy associated and connected with greatness. Uh, and I know you're humble enough to say that that has nothing to do with you or you're a small part of it, but it's, it's amazing to meet you. It really is. Oh man. I, I take that as the ultimate compliment. That's um, I'm just a kid from Oakland. I, <laughs> I laugh at, I laugh at my journey all the time because it's, it's been, uh, uh, 
has been something that I couldn't have dreamt as a kid. So you know, I'm just, I'm just really grateful and blessed. Yeah, that's the only way I can really look at it. You always feel that way? Or do you sometimes get caught always. up in the ambition of, of things? I mean, I've always been a hard worker. You know, I've, I've always had my own set of goals and what I wanted to accomplish. Uh, I've always wanted to be great at what I was doing. But, you know, I think anybody, everybody has those type of ambitions, right? But to actually see it come to life and see it come to fruition the way it has, I'm telling you, I, I even say it about my own journey that has been very storybook. I feel you. It's uh, when you come from nothing and you ascend to the top in whatever field or whatever craft you're in, there's a level of humility and gratitude that comes along with that. So, uh, because look, it's not, it's not guaranteed. No. So the, the humility, the humility and the gratitude part is, is like really just one, just being grateful that I've, I've been blessed enough to be in the seat that I'm in. And then just the humility part is, like I said, it could be taken from you at any time. So uh, I know I've been around enough people who are arrogant and, have the wrong type of attitude. So I try to stay away from that as much as I can. I have been using your app. 94 feet uh, game. Yo. <laughs> yo, when you told me that I was dying, like that is so crazy to me. Like what, what, what inspired you to actually just to pick up the app and use it? My jumper. So I, I'm doing an all women's episode that's dropping later on today. And I grew up playing my whole life and I'm an eighties baby and, and women hoopers never got the tools or skills development in my era, right? YouTube didn't exist. Internet didn't exist. It was just literally whatever people were around you in the neighborhood that I grew up in did not have a lot of elite trainers or coaches. I think my best friend's dad coached us for a long period of time. So, you know, the way me learning how to shoot as an undersized player it was very push, push focus, a lot of like offhand involved, a lot of thumb on the offhand and it's wet. I mean, the jumper is wet, but it looks like garbage and it's very low. And so <laughs> it's true. It's very low and it's gross. It's gross. And so I think I was talking to somebody about it and about you and they're like, oh, yeah, do you know that Phil has an app? And he breaks everything down to the smallest details. And I was like, I need details. I need structure. I need order. You know, I don't want to like hire. I'm not going to, I'm not doing anything with my career. You know, I just want to play and I want to get better just for my own self. So I'm not going to get like a, a Drew Hanlon or whatever. So I picked it up and I'm like, wow, this really is the one shot. I mean, everything has been very cool to go through. The only thing that I will say is I would love more form-based tight handling drills like more of them so have you been to the ball handling section yes of course i've been to the ball handling section so so it's either very very beginner or very advanced no no there's there's intermediate kind of there's a a (laughs) i mean i'm i'm a believer i'm a firm believer of if you have the fundamental foundation Right. You can go between beginner and advanced really quick. Mm. It's all about the teaching It's how you teach it. Yeah. And so for me, I think it's a really, really thin line between the intermediate yep. and the and the advanced. And really the, the intermediate part is just taking um, less combos. Yeah. You know, to, to where your brain doesn't. Overload. 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 No, 100%. 100%. So what for you was the inspiration behind the app and how does that all connect to COVID? Um, You know, like when I started in the training business, like in 1999, I I just wanted to be able to, to, to have training for people. I wanted to be able to train and change the industry. And just over the years, a lot of people would email me or, or, call me, right, man, can you send me a workout? Can, and I've always been a visual. Same. Everything that I, everything I have is up here in my head. And so I never really had anything on paper. I never had stuff on video because uh, for the longest time, I didn't really believe in that. I just believed in just doing the work. And over the years, as, as social media and digital, the digital world and the digital space is just kind of taking on this 
this giant presence now is just like, well, I can't be everywhere. I can't train everyone. Um, you know, my schedule is, is really hectic. I really can't work with the kids the way I like to. And so the app was really just a space to, to be able to share my knowledge with people anywhere, anytime. So we use that. We kind of use that slogan on the app anywhere, anytime. And, and the inspiration behind the app is solely just to be able to pour all this, this knowledge that I have in my head out onto video to where people can understand what's made me successful as a trainer at all levels. It's not just, it's not just NBA athletes. The training is for any and every athlete that wants to play. doesn't matter your gender. Uh, doesn't matter. Your uh, it's for every coach that, or trainer that wants to, you know, get better at their, at their craft. It's really just a place for me to share, share knowledge uh, with, with people in the basketball community. That's been the, that's been the biggest inspiration behind it. Yeah. The library is huge. There's so much, so much to look through and you have young people, girls, boys, guys, men, women, it's everyone is on there and, and everything looks very in the mold of the style that you are teaching. So it's, it's tremendous how consistent it is. Um, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. How, how has the game for you changed since you started coaching in the NBA about a decade ago, how has it evolved? Man, the game has changed drastically. Uh, so when I came into the league, obviously my first year with the Lakers, we had Andrew Bynum and Pau Gasol, you know, two of the best bigs in the NBA, uh, and they're both seven footers. And neither one of those guys were really three point shooters, right? They were close to the basket. Powell was more of an 18 footer. 18 foot jump shot guy, but he's a, he's known for his ability to play, make and pass and be versatile. And Bynum was just a problem on the block. And, you know, we played a lot through them um, mixed in with Kobe and, you know, some of the other guys that we had on the team. So you look at the game now, the game is not, it's not that everything is five out. Everything is about the three point line. Now everybody has to be able to handle the basketball handle, pass, and shoot. That's kind of where the game has went in the sense of there's no longer the ability. Now, Joel Embiid is probably, you know, one of the very few big men that that really play on the block. But he can shoot, really boy. He can, he shoot. can shoot. Yeah, and you know, he has a step back and no play front-facing as well. Yeah. No, Jokic, you know, yep. he's versatile. They play inside, outside. They're, they're a real problem. But I think to me that's the biggest difference in where the game has gone. The, uh, the threat of the three-point line. And then, you know, teams really want guys that can, that can space the floor. And so the post-up has become uh, very rare. You know, it's not, it's not really a post-up league anymore. You know, it's become more of a pick and roll and, and drive and kick type of league. So that's the biggest difference that I've seen over the, over the last decade. That's what made it so interesting, the pickup with Drummond. I know, I mean, you guys got him for uh, a bargain, but it, it's he does not fit into the modern style of the NBA, which is why you know over the last few years his he's been moved around a little bit. People have had teams I, have had I, a little bit of of issues. I'm, how to use I'm, him? I'm gonna argue that to 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 tell death. me, sprinkle me because no, man, you look at us last year. Yeah. Look at our team last year. We had Dwight Dwight, you know uh, Dwight Howard and Javale McGee. Yep. Right. Those are two seven footers that don't shoot threes but if you look at the makeup of our team and how we play we do a little bit of everything you no know, we we use the three-point line we use pick and roll we use post-ups we use isolations we play in the mid-range all of those things we are a complete team and I've always said you know I've always been a believer that listen I teach the game of basketball in complete parts and so a lot of people have tried to erase the whole mid-range and I think that's the biggest mistake that people make. It's all about one. It's all about how you teach it. So the greatest players that have ever played the game, Kobe, MJ, Bron, um, even Larry Bird, the list goes on and on and on, right? They've, all been They've always been mid-range players. And so tell me a team in the history of the NBA or history of basketball that has ever won a championship just shooting threes and layups. Name one. 
if Nick Nurse had his way, it would be the Raptors, but he would say that Kawhi Leonard was so great at the mid-range that he allowed it. But didn't he put those places on the floor? Basically, he put dead spots during practice. I read this in his book, that he put spots on the floor that you could not shoot in the mid-range. Not true. Really? I play, I coast, I coast no, I know you know Nick very you know very, Nick so, very well. Here's the deal. Here's one thing that Nick always said. You know, we don't want to take bad mid-range. You can take bad layups. You can take bad threes. And you can take bad shots, right? The whole key to the offense is let's get the best shot available. Mm. Let's get the un- uncontested shot that we can get. So if that shot happens to be at the rim, great. If it happens to be at three-point line, great. If it happens to be a good executed mid-range shot, great. It's all about the execution. And it's all about shot selection, right? So I think what people have tried to, to say that, uh, mid-range shots are bad. And I disagree with that completely. It's all about the type of shot that you take. And because again, I said, you can take bad layups, you can take bad threes, and you can take bad mid-range shots. So shot selection is the key. Um, and the, the design of the offense is to try to get the best shot that you can get anywhere on the floor. And I think that's the part that people miss, right? You know, And then understanding how do you teach, just like people teach and work with guys to shoot threes and shoot layups. How do you teach guys to be effect, effective and efficient in the mid-range? Now, that's one of the things that I really I really believe in. And that's balance and footwork to a degree, because if you're getting a mid-range shot, you're normally going to have to plant as you're driving, collect, gather yourself, and have the, the your hip square and get back in, in order for that to be a good shot, which is kind of all about what you, you teach, right? You are you are a hooper indeed. Like <laughs> your 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 basketball pedigree is is pretty impressive so far. Woo! You know TikTok tells me otherwise, Coach Handy. TikTok tells me otherwise. <laughs> well, I wouldn't I wouldn't put too much stock in TikTok. <laughs> so tell me about. You said that the game has changed, but also the information that we have has changed, right? How has the shooting motion evolved and how has your teaching of that shooting motion evolved, if at all? Well, I think shooting is more of a premium has into the game. Shooting is a high, high premium, right? And so for me, uh, I think basketball has been around forever. So it's not about reinventing the wheel. Right? I think the basic fundamentals of shooting should always be applied to players, you know, teaching players how to have a good balance. What's your footwork, your shoulders and your hips and your feet lined up. Are you having a good extension? Are you having a good follow through? You know, do you keep your head on the rim? Do you keep, I mean, all of these basic things, you know, you know, is your offhand too involved in your shot too much? Is your thumb involved? There's all these small, small pieces that are just fundamentals that have been around forever. So I haven't really, I haven't really changed uh, too many things that I I learned as a shooter growing up. You know, just basic parts. I think really, you know, there are some players that don't have great mechanics, right? I mean, Sean Marion was a guy that didn't have great mechanics, but he taught himself how to shoot, and he taught himself how to be effective and efficient with the way he shot. I've always kind of believed that some guys grow up. They don't learn how to shoot. Some ladies grow up, they don't learn how to shoot properly at a young age, <laughs> right? But as you get older, we all know it's harder to break certain habits, right? So how do you how do you help people that have bad mechanics become better shooters? And I think you really start to start to put your focus on the finish. How do you finish? And you know, yes, can you can you change things? You can. But I think um scientifically, you know, there's all these different things that are starting to come out about shooting. But for me, I'm just all about good old fashioned fundamentals. What about the mental side of shooting? We see guys like Ben Simmons really struggle, even though he has form, his form looks good when he decides he's going to hit a three or shoot a three in game, which is very, very rare. If you were to work with a player like that, how do you get them? And he's worked with psychologists. He's worked with trainers in the off season. Like how do you overcome that shooting I guess, mental block and what would you, how would you assess like what he's actually going through or, or players yeah, like I mean, him? Ben is, ben is, you know, guys like 
Ben, you know, I really think it's just about the reps. Any any shooter, not just not just Ben, but shooters in general that haven't typically been known to be shooters, really the offseason is, is a time that you try to put in as much time as you can on the small details of understanding what it takes to become a good shooter. And then it's just about the reps, putting in good quality reps. It's not about shot volume. I am a I'm a quality over quantity guy. So it's really about the type of quality that you put into your work. And then to me, the confidence comes from you trusting the work, right? And you put work in and you start to formulate good habits and you see that the mechanics are working, then you have to trust it. And so that's why we put in the work. I tell athletes that all the time. You know, people talk about the mental side of the game, not just shooting, but just mental, the big picture of the mental game. I use the simulation of, of kids who study for a test, right? You know you have a final coming up and you take that whole week and you study for that final. You know you put in this. So when you walk into that final, those kids that have studied, they walk into that final and they're completely confident because they put the time in and they studied the material versus the other kid who took the whole week, didn't open a book, didn't study at all. They walk into that final and they're what? They're, they're second guessing themselves. It's the same analogy when it comes to working on your game and, and, and being confident in your abilities. When you put in the work, you should gain confidence from that because you know you've done it over and over and over. You study, you study for this test. And so that should transfer into how you play, having confidence. Will it be perfect? No. But the confidence of you knowing that you've done it over and over again is really trusting your work. It's, it's not very complicated. You know, I think it's a little easier, um, easier to comprehend when people actually like put in the work, you gain the confidence from the work and you know that you're going to go on the floor and be successful with it. So I think reps are really important you know, the, the reps that you put in and just and just in-game reps and in-game reps too, right? Like it's one thing to no be question. doing that, uh, you know, just at a shoot around, but to force yourself to take those reps in game speed, in game settings, that also allows you to build confidence at the same time. Right. Yeah. I think it's, there's, there's tears to it. Right. So you, you put in a time by yourself in the gym, then you take that and you go into like your summer runs. Okay. Here, let me really work on my game. So I've been in the gym by myself working on my craft. Okay, let me go to a summer run. Let me work on my craft here where this is the area where I can make mistakes and continue to grow. So you, you take those steps. Step one, get in the gym by yourself. Step two, you know, you might play one-on-one, two-on-two. Step three, you go to five-on-five in, 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 in the summertime, and you gain confidence from each step that you take. So by the time you get to the season, so, man, I did this all summer. You know, I played in summer runs. I was knocking shots down and the carryover should be there. You know, it shouldn't be any different. That carryover from seeing that you can do it, you know, against live competition should carry over into doing it against live competition during the season as well. Well, yeah. And I mean, those summer runs are filled with studs usually. Um, so they're, they're not going to be yeah. that much different than an NBA setting. And in fact, it might even be more tough competition when you've got all those guys competing um, they're the top tier from every individual team, right? Um, how would you define a skills coach to someone who's never heard of one before? Um, skills coach. You know, I think I want to say, first off, I'll say that skills coaches are basketball coaches. We coach the game of basketball. It's not just skills. I've always believed that if you're a skills coach, you have to understand the game first. And foremost, you have to understand how to teach it, understand how your individual school that you're teaching, how does that fit into team play? Small details. I'm, I'm a detail guy. So you're taking, you're talking about teaching ball handling, you're talking about teaching shooting, teaching footwork, you're teaching finishing at the rim. You're taking all the individual skills of, of an athlete and helping them hone their skills to where they can fit into the team concept. And so to me, skills coaches are, teachers Hmm. you're you're really teachers of the game Uh, and I think that part right there is um where people say well you're a skills coach you're not a coach completely off off kilter for me again that's something that I'll argue to the grave that no it's quite the opposite we are coaches because you are you're teaching 
the individual elements of the game of how that fits into a team concept. And so, you know, skills, co- skills coaches are your teachers, your mentors, um, sometimes your psychologists. <laughs> so, so we're, we're a little bit of, we're a little bit of everything. It's, it's not just one thing. How does your job change depending on the head coaches that you work for? Because obviously when you're breaking down those details, it's going into the larger scheme. Yeah, every head coach I've had a chance to work for has all been, <clears throat> they've all been been different in philosophy. Um, you know, Mike Brown, my first NBA coach, was very, very, very organized from A to Z. You know, Mike, Mike taught me a lot. Uh, as my first head coach, he was just very disciplined, very organized. I thought that was great for me in my first experience in the NBA to really understand um, and just being being organized. You know, some coaches are some coaches are more offensive oriented. Some coaches are more defensive oriented. Um, some coaches have more of a focus on player development. You know, that's every every coach that I've worked worked for. They're all different, and I think as as an assistant coach, that's our job is to figure out what our head coach wants, and then we're supposed to be soldiers for the head coach, right? We go out and execute the head coach's game plan, and we follow his lead in terms of what he wants and. And we have to be prepared to carry that out. Just like, you know, just like players have roles, us as coaches, we have roles as well. And we have to be able to execute our roles to the best of our ability for the head coach. Do they create and define that for you in terms of like how things were for you on the Cavs with Ty Lue versus how, you know, you were called on as a soldier for someone like Coach Nurse? Yeah, you know, I think... Anytime a head coach has interviewed me and, and wanted to bring me onto the staff, you know, I've, they obviously see what my strong suits are, uh, but they also have given me a plan of, hey, this is where, this is where I, I expect you to perform. This is what I need from you on our staff, uh, X, Y, and Z. You know, and I've and always been a guy that's taken strong notes on those things to where I can execute at a high level. Uh, and whatever X, Y, and Z is, I want to focus on X, Y, and Z and not A, B, and C, you know, call it staying in your lane to really, to really master and be great at whatever, whatever the duties your head coach gives you. And so I've, I've been, uh, been blessed to work with some really good coaches that have given me great direction in terms of what they expect from me. And uh, I think what they've learned from me is, you know, that maybe I can put a little bit more on Phil's plate. Uh, You talked about how skills coaches are actual coaches and also do a lot more. Do you have aspirations of being a head coach one day? Yeah, you know, that's a, it's a, um, I want to use the word organic for me. My career has been very organic. So I've never been a guy that's had a five-year plan. You know, I've always been a guy that's just woken up and said, I'm going to do my job today to the best of my abilities. And I've allowed that to, to kind of lead me in my career. So for me, yes, if the opportunity for me to become a head coach arises, I'll be prepared. Am I, am I looking for it? Am I hunting it down? Is it something that's on my, on my board every day? No, you know, I, I love my job. I love teaching the game of basketball. And so there's so many different parts to that. And, and in this journey, you know, every day I just wake up and try to do my job to the best of my ability. And so if that leads me to being a head coach, so be it, I'll be ready. I guess the question you feel to me like a leader. You feel to me inspirational and also process oriented, which in my mind feels very head coachish. But in this, in the NBA world, sometimes things don't happen organically. Sometimes, especially in systems that aren't always fair, you have to kind of knock down the door. You have to be strategic and play the game like Game of Thrones to a degree. But that doesn't sound like something that you're interested in doing. Um, and does that basically mean that if it doesn't, if someone doesn't select you or you don't organically get into the stream that you're, you're totally content with it never happening? 100% because I'm going to be me every day and I'm never going to change that part of it. Am I a team player? Absolutely. Um, do I fit into, uh, systems? Absolutely. Can I lead? Absolutely. Uh, can I take instruction? Absolutely. But inside of all of that, I know who I am. And I know what I bring to the table in terms of uh, being a coach. Um, and so for me, I think 
the purity of basketball has always been at the forefront of everything I've done. And, and I've always felt like my job and my, my passion is to help players get better. That's it. I'm not interested in the politics of basketball. My interest big. is helping, helping players get better. That's why we coach, right? Yes, there's other things that come with it. But uh, for me, you know, that's, that's, just, that's just raw and uncut for me. Uh, that won't change. And so, yeah, if, it, if, um, if people don't, don't see the skill set that I have and, and believe that that's a good fit for their, their team or organization, I'm okay with that as a, as a head coach because I know that what I've done in my career to this point has done, by, has done great by me. You know, it's, it's been a great run. Kind of speaks for itself, too. Um, <laughs> I mean, all these rings. Speaking of uh, all these rings, it's taken a long time to get that Toronto Raptor ring. <laughs> Hasn't it? <laughs> man, last night, I picked it up last night. What was it? It was, oh, man, that's been a couple years coming. Jeez. But, you know, I listen, you know, man, listen, I'm patient. That was, uh, it was well worth the wait. Um and I was, man, I was really, I didn't think I was going to be as excited, but when I actually got in the office and met with, with Bobby Webster and Nick and some of the other Raptor, you know, people, it was, that was a, it was a great feeling to pick that ring up, you know, to, uh, to see it, touch it and feel it. So that was a great moment last night. So many diamonds, just so many. <laughs> yes, indeed. Toronto, Toronto went big with that one. They that's really a, did. A, it's a really nice ring, and I wish I had it with me so we could have shared it on the on the, on me, the show. But me too. It's um that's that was an that's an amazing ring. They did a really good job of uh, of trying to capture, you know, just that special that specialness of what we were able to do in Toronto. You're probably going to get your Lakers ring not too far off from now. I got it already. Oh, you have. I got my. Yes. I, I got my. I got my Lakers ring before I got my Toronto. That's ring. crazy. <laughs> that is insane. <laughs> You know, we didn't, we were supposed to, right when we were going to Toronto last season, COVID hit. Wow. So it just wiped everything out. So no, no Toronto trip. Speaking of you and Nick Nurse and Chris Finch, you guys have a lot of experience together with international basketball. How did that experience overseas influence and change the way that you approach coaching? Because it sounds like, I talked to Tara Vanderveer from Stanford yesterday, and she said that that international experience for her was pretty monumental. Yeah, you know, playing for Nick one was was a great experience for me. Chris and Nick were two of the top coaches, you know, over there in England when we were co- when I was playing there. But I think playing in Europe, my you know, for the bulk of my career, I just think it just helped me be more diverse, more well rounded. Right? You know, I think the U.S. has always kind of been the pinnacle uh, of basketball. But I think that there's always more that you can learn, right? There's always, it's always good to complete the Rubik's cube and, and be, be well-versed. So European basketball has always been played a little bit differently. And now you see more of that style in the States, you know, in the NBA. So to be, you know, to have had the opportunity to play in Europe for so many years, I feel like, you know, I was a little bit ahead of the game and just understanding what European basketball was all about. Uh, as it started to creep into the NBA. So I think that was um, one of the best things that happened in my career. Really? Was, again, yeah, just to be, like I said, to, to, to be complete. And again, like, you know, the best, you know, the U.S. has always, always been and, and, and going to be the hub of basketball. Um, but again, you know, even in that, there's always something that you can learn, right, to continue to grow and, and, and continue to, to master your craft. And I think uh, European basketball is, is a big part of that. And probably diverse uh, backgrounds, uh, skill sets, just being in a global stage helps with communication as a coach too, right? Abs- absolutely. Like understanding, you know, maybe what it's like, you know, you understand what it's like to live in France or what is it like to play in Germany? What is it like to play in Australia? Um, you know, all the, living in all these different places, you get to learn the culture. So you may have a little bit more of a better feel of how to deal with the athletes, where they come from, what's their background. So all of that stuff plays a big part in it. How, uh, how different is your communication style depending on the kind of athlete that you're working with in terms of how you not only communicate just with language, but 
carrot stick, um, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm pretty straightforward. I'm not a, I'm not a type of dude that really beats around the bush. And I've always just kept my communication solely about basketball, good, bad, indifferent. Like I've always been honest with players about what I see. So it's, it's not a sugarcoat thing. And I think to me, the language of basketball is universal. It's one language. I don't care what language you speak. When you step on the court, you can speak a different language, but when we start to work and drill, it's all one language. So I've always been um, been a guy that's just always tried to tell athletes the truth about what I see, uh, whether it's good, whether it's bad, and they've always respected that part. So I'm, you know, I don't really try to push buttons with guys. Guys know. I think my reputation is look. I'm, I'm a hard worker when it comes to you know the skill development and, and coaching. I'm I'm pretty pretty straightforward, no nonsense. So you know, there's a there's a level of respect that I always give to the players uh, right away, but I also I'm going to demand a level of respect you know, just through my work. You know? And so I, I've always found that to be the best way for me. Who are you most proud of uh, working with in terms of how much they've developed with you? Oh, man. And I've had an opportunity to work with some, some great players. You know, I think, I think what people don't realize before I answer that is that a lot of players have taught me a lot. Now, I've learned a lot from from players in terms of uh, being better at my craft. I think um, I think the player that I've probably had the biggest impact on is probably Kyrie. Um, he had a lot of growth. You know, when we spent time together in Cleveland, uh, he was already kid is already a phenomenal basketball player, very talented, very skilled. But um, I think he was able to really just turn himself into like a Swiss army knife and just become really refined, super skilled. And man, just, just kind of, you know, transform his game and, and, and became a, a kid that, you know, with the, with the addition of Braun and, and, and the, the lift of our team in Cleveland, he went from being a, just a, a good player on a bad team uh, to a champion. And he really grew in, in the space of really just trying to understand what it means to play, you know, play meaningful basketball and, and really compete at a high level. His footwork is incredible. His, his bag is the deepest, I think, maybe I've ever seen before. I, I would agree with that. That boy, in my opinion, has the best handle of all time. How could anyone disagree? He can do anything. Man, he is, uh, Kyrie is nasty. He is nasty. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable some of the stuff that he does. Um, and, but, you know, in different ways, like, like Braun is nasty. He, he nasty, he's a different beast. He's nasty. You know, he's, he's by far the best all around player that I've ever worked with. Um, but their, their levels of nastiness is just, it's elite, elite, elite. You know, and it's just, it's just been a tremendous, tremendous blessing for me to be able to work, work with guys like that. No doubt. Braun <laughs> has gotten to be an elite deep range shooter. Yeah. Please just tell me how much you have worked with him on that. Because it happened when he came back to me, to, to Cleveland and, and then to LA, even another step to a degree. You know, I'm not a guy that takes credit for everything these dudes do. Of course you know, Damon not. Jones, Damon Jones was a big part of uh, working with LeBron on his shooting. You know, they have a deep relationship. He spent a lot of time with Bron. Um, and then Bron just, he's a worker. He's smart. He's just a smart individual. So, I mean, he's put in a lot of work on his shot um, over the years, just continue to get better. And, and I think I, I've always felt like, as he's become a better ball handler, I think that's helped him with his shooting as well. And people don't really understand just being comfortable with the basketball, right? You know, yeah, shooters shoot. You know, most shooters may not be great ball handlers, but but Bron is just a, a feel guy. He's a he's a rhythm guy. So, you know, he put in a lot of time with Damon Jones um, when he was in Cleveland. And then he's just continued. You know, we've, you know, me and Bron have worked together for years. And uh, he just 
every year. I mean, he's, he's always been a guy that's just been supremely, supremely confident in his abilities. He feels like you, if you ask him, hey, as soon as I step in the building, I can shoot it. That's his response. doesn't matter. I could I be in the locker room. I can shoot. You know? <laughs> so that's always his, his mindset is easy. He's supremely confident and he's a, he's a supremely high level worker. I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. He works. What title is the most satisfying to you? I would have to say Cleveland. You know, I look, they're all special. You know, they did. Every one of them are special because they're so hard. Toronto is special in its own right. You know, LA was special just being in that bubble and just difficult, difficult times. But I would probably say Cleveland just because of the history. Yeah. How t- how tough it was. You know, the city of Cleveland is Cleveland's always kind of just been been spat yeah. on yeah. in so many different ways, right? And then just the storylines behind it, you know, LeBron. And the Dan Gilbert like letter and the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just the, the history of the, of the city, the curse. Yeah. Being down, being down three, one. Yep. Um, you know, LeBron going back home, winning one for his city. Uh, you know, my own storylines, you know, being a Bay area kid, being able to win an NBA championship in Oakland. Yep. Uh, so it, there's, it still gives me chills and the city of Cleveland, like, like, that city, the state of Ohio, was was turned upside down when we won that championship, and it was uh, it was just a that was that was a special 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 moment. It was my first one. Yeah, I think you were uh, a part of some in, an inspirational speech I read about as well. <laughs> I don't know if it was inspirational. <laughs> it, was, it was more like a blackout. <laughs> inspiration comes in all kinds of forms well you know what that is very true i was just i was upset i was livid you know just you know i'm a competitor and i just you know t lou as our head coach was gracious enough to to allow all of us to be men and speak our minds and i really just uh i just wanted our guys to compete and and have some have some passion for for competing and not not letting those dudes punk us the way they were because they were punking us uh, in the first couple of games. And so, so for me, it was just really just raw and about the passion and my love for the game. Um, and they they responded in their own way. And a lot of times it was just shots not going in that should have fallen, guys in slumps. How do you <clears throat> mentally – I I wanted to ask this earlier, but how do you get out of a shooting slump? How do players – get out of it mentally keep shooting. just keep shooting keep shooting if you ever you ever ask kobe that question shoot till your arms fall off right i think that's what they do right they shoot they're the phrase of shooter shoot that's real and so you know the ebb and flow of the game everybody's going to go through a slump so i always say you have to keep shooting get in the gym you keep working on your craft because I think if you go the other way with it, if you stop shooting, then you're dead. And then, you, you know, you, if you don't put, keep putting your work in and keep working on your craft, you know, those tides change, right? They change. You know, you go through a slump and, you, you know, you go through a mental slump, you know, you, you kind of feel like, man, I'm never going to make a shot again. But you just have to keep working through it. You know, look, you watch the film, you watch the tape, you might see some things that you can tweak. Hey, I'm, I'm off balance. I'm not following through. You know, I'm leaning backwards, whatever, whatever you might find, or you might just find that you're taking bad shots. You know, it could be as simple as that. So you go through the whole array of, you know, doing your homework by video, doing your homework on the floor, continuing to work. And then, you know, you just keep shooting, keep working and keep shooting. Well, I could talk to you for ages, but you cannot talk to me for ages. So um, I'm going to let you run. It was an absolute pleasure. I, I am so humbled and so grac- grateful that you came on. Um, congratulations on all of the titles. Congratulations on your ring. 94 feet a game app. It's the cheapest uh, or least expensive for the most value. I use it pretty much every day in the gym. Um Coach Phil Handy, I hope to see you uh, in the front of a bench sometime soon. Thank you so much.
That's all the time that we have for the This League podcast. We are growing on TikTok, folks. Please jump onto the bandwagon and onto the train. Also, follow me on my personal TikTok, Trista Crick. No underscore, no slash, it's just my name. Also, we have This League hoodies on sale in the Barstool store. We're going to have some playoff merch coming soon, so stick, stay tuned for that. Uh, also, watch us on YouTube. Marty does a great job with that. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.